I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This week on Routine Checkup, we sit down with Stephen Gillen, the UK's most notorious ex-mobster turned CEO and transformational pioneer. We talk about the mental health ramifications of life behind bars. looking forward to this yeah you are yeah I and really so am i uh because we have a really interesting unique episode today uh kind of going down a lane that i don't think we've ever gone down uh we are joined by Stephen gillen and if you aren't familiar with the name um let me get you caught up Stephen gillen is known as one of the uk's most notorious ex mobsters, now turned CEO and transformational pioneer, speaker, author, I mean, pretty much does it all. Uh, and Stephen has a wildly fascinating story that I am just dying to kind of sink our teeth into and unpack, especially from the perspective of um, how, how a life of crime has an effect on your overall well-being from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint, and and not only just like a life of crime, but also a life spent behind bars. Um, Stephen, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand the mic over to you. Please give yourself uh, a, an introduction to our listeners, to the three of us. Uh, who is Stephen Gillen? Well, I think I think you've said it all. You know, and I do love Canada. We're very. Very, very strong uh, linked with Canada. You know, we have some dear, dear family over there. And of course, I was over there at the end of last year. I've done all the morning shows, coast to coast. You know, Canada's a wonderful place, right? Very linked to us in the UK, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, had a great time there. Uh, underst- uh, you know, understand you guys very much. And um, Stephen Gillen, well, he's... he's um, He's someone who's been through a lot of a lot of trauma, a lot of a lot of darkness. It didn't start too well, right? But mm. of course, you know, I had to navigate that, really, really uh, transform my life to where I am now, guys. Mm-hmm. Stephen, I'm I'm curious. My my first question is, uh, how are how are you able to travel now? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you what. That's quite a question because. I've been out of trouble for a long time now, you know, and Canada is very strict guys, right? With who they let in, even more so than the US, right? That's right. So, you know, when we, when we sent off like for the tour and everything else, I mean, don't forget, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of work under the bridge in 2019. I was nominated for an international peace prize as well. So this is the opposite end of the scale. And of course, when they look into who you are or, you know, what it is, they're looking at these things, but the people who was coming over with me, of course they got, you know, they got um, cleared straight away. Mine, it didn't come back straight away. <laughs> it was like a couple of weeks. But, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, I got cleared. And that's a, uh, that's a testament now to where my life is, you know, mm-hmm. from where it was. So I guess to give people context, um, Stephen, you were born in, in the UK in, in 1971. Um, and your formative years were spent uh, in Belfast, during a time of, um, a time of turmoil. Um, and Mm. you know, for maybe perhaps there's some listeners here who aren't really familiar with, um, what was going on over in the UK, uh, back in the seventies, but maybe you can give us a little bit of context. What was Belfast like when you were a child spending your time there? What was going on in the area? Um, when you were, when you were just a young buck? Belfast was a, 
a, a turbulent place in them days, guys. You know, you're talking about a place where, you know, a normal thing was uh, people shooting out from the flats all night, right? Bombs and stuff like that, martial law, right? You know, I mean, I started there until I was uh, nine, nine years of age, and my surrogate mother, who was there then, um, died died of uh, cancer, passed. So it was then I was the young kid who was on the boat and had the case, you know, coming back, coming back to England and London. And that was that. And I guess like, like maybe you can give us a little bit of context, like, you know, as a, as a child who is surrounded by that kind of environment, um, you know, on top of losing an incredibly close family member. I mean, like what kind of effect did that have on you as a child looking back now as an adult? Um, this stuff, this stuff forges you guys, obviously for what, for what is to come later, you know, and it did have a, it did have an effect on me. I mean, you know, part of the thing when I look back now in the place where I'm now is, you know, all the people that meant anything to me or anything that meant anything uh, to me in my life really was taken away. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, were destroyed. So this was something that I carried and you know, brought a lot of anger in me, you know, mm. in the early years that really, really drove me making a burning, burning, uh, flaming trail forward, right, you know, into the serious stuff. Mm -hmm. So what is kind of like, <clears throat> what is, wh where does, uh, where does trouble start for mm. you as a, uh, like, does it, st is it something that's kind of like with you as a young kid and kind of just tr continues on into, into your like adolescence and your, and your, your early years like where does where does that all begin because i think like something that i'm really interested as well in in talking about is not only the ability to transform but like a lot of like the stigma that comes with the having spent time in prison having convictions like there's a lot of public stigma that goes along with that and i kind of want to get into that later but what is where does all that kind of start for you where does trouble begin with you i think i think part of it was when I was really young, seven, seven years of age, I got caught in a riot, you know, and I, you know, as a young child, as you do, you know, the whole, the whole road was being cleared because there was gunfire from the flats, you know, and the army was shooting out with the IRA and all this stuff. So I dived into a garden, I was under a hedge, but I watched someone get shot in front of me and I had to, you know, I had to stay there. You would have been killed on that road. I was seven. You know, when I watched him die in front of me, calling calling for his mother, right? Mm. You know, I mean, that was horrendous for me. You know, mm -hmm. that was at seven years of age, right? But, you know, it darkened the world for me. And it was a lot of this stuff, you know, it dehumanized me. And it conditions us, right? That, wow, you know, this is the world and this, you know, this is what happens, right? So, you know, as I said, when everything was kind of taken, you know, taken from me in that way, when I come to... To, to England, then I was very, very susceptible to, uh, to all the stuff that was going on there. You know, I got involved in the gangs and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I had a real burning kind of anger uh, there for me, but I had to, I had to survive. So I was involved in a lot of violence, which was, you know, went into the gang stuff, to the, to the petty crime, really into the organized crime stuff really, really quickly. Yeah. I like, can you, can you walk us through, um, can you walk us through what that looks like? Like, and, and in particular, like the evolution of it, right? So you're this, mm. you're this young boy, you witness someone die calling out to their mother after being shot. Um, obviously that's going to shape you for the rest of your life. You, you, tr you transition into moving to, to the, to England and you start getting involved in, in, in gangs, in, you know, in, in petty crime like what's the evolution of of a of a, 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 a soon to be mobster like what are those early stages you know like the the evolution of the crime that like climbing the crime ladder where does it begin and like how does it evolve to get to a point where you're a fucking mobster you like know? if like if i leave the podcast studio today and i'm exhibiting certain types of behaviors what are those ones i want to watch out for that might lead to me eventually <laughs> yeah. becoming a, a mobster yeah, yeah, right right <laughs> <laughs> brian well, might just find himself falling into it be, right? <laughs> yeah. you know it's definitely something you don't want to be it's a very dark life it's a very evil life but look i have to say not all the people in that life are evil 
you know, that mm -hmm. they're kind of shaped and forged like everyone else is shaped and forged. Maybe they're going to be a doctor or a surgeon or a lawyer. Birds of a feather, they flock together. There is a progression of stuff here. You know, the litany behind these kind of people are from broken homes, from really tough environments, but there'll be something in the history. And then you are susceptible. But what happens because of people, places, and things? Well, you know, I speak, I speak in my in my case, guys, was you know, I was at that point then, I was kind of feral, a street kid, but you know, we're always looking to belong, right? Yeah. You know, we're looking for people to look up to. There's the peer pressure thing, there's all of this. So, you know, you add to that that you're getting the wrong role models and instruction and you need to survive, right? Mm -hmm. This is not a good, you know, a good ingredient. So, you know, the people, places and things in my life were you know, a lot of the family around me, they was really senior target criminals. Right. So this was something to aspire to, really. You know, you know, they weren't footballers or sportsmen or anything like that. You know, and that kind of microcosm of that world, there's all the programming and conditioning and rules that look, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is how you conduct yourself. This yeah. is so you know, all the way along, you're being shaped for that. And of course, I was, I was, I was like a crazy kid. I was, I would do crazy things that even crazy people wouldn't even think about. Mm. So of course, I stuck out in that way. They thought, you know, this is someone we can mold, someone we can manipulate, someone, someone who we can put up the front. Mm. And this is a kind of progression of it, a rite of passage in a way. Yeah, Stephen, I just, I, just to diverge for a moment there, you said something that kind of that struck me in, in the sense of, you know, we live in a, we live in a world, especially, um, you know, I can't, I can't really speak to, to what it's like in the developing or in the developing world, but in the developed world, prison often called rehabilitation mm -hmm. is often anything but that. Mm -hmm. And it is a, a, a horrible place to be where, where you're more likely to get worse than you are to get better. And, and the perception around people that go to prison is there's, you know, there's like a, like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of stigma there. I, I'm really interested in your perspective on people who have been, who have been convicted of crimes, who have lived a life of crime, who have been involved in gangs and mobs and things. I feel like you must view these view people that have been in those situations from a very unique Mm. perspective having been there yourself having transformed after this after the fact and that understanding that it is the things that the things that happen to us that that influence the decisions that we make it's not it's not a choice in and of itself it is influenced by you know a hundred or a thousand different little experiences that get that that you know that shape you like it's like what Jody Carrington says. It's not what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. Right. Ooh. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, and like, I, I feel like you must have a perspective on kind of like the well-being of people who have been convicted of any crime that is very valuable, could be very valuable to society as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Good question. Look, to condense that, what I always say and it's very important. This is life doesn't give us what we want. It gives us what we become. Mm. And it really does. All of us, we, you know, we start as a blank sheet in some ways, right? Well, well, we all do, right? We fall down, we get up. It's, you know, this learning. We, you know, we can make some mistakes, some bigger than others. But, you know, it, it's a journey of learning, all right? You know, for all of us, right? Now, you know, you throw in a lot of other ingredients in there which are unhealthy. I always call it people, places, and things because it is that, right? Yeah, that, 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 you know, we can be positioned for things really early on, some of us that are outside our control or our bandwidth, really. So you have to navigate that and you have to deal with it. You know, when you, you know, you're underpinning that with survival, that's a big driver there, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right? Mm -hmm. You know, and then you can add some other things into the pot there. But so people are people, right? Or what I'm saying, right? And there are a small section of people who are beyond the power, as it were, and they need to be in prison. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. 
But generally, you know, a good 80% plus, they can be rehabilitated. It's in the past. One of the things with prisons, there's a few things. You know, the bureaucracy of it and the red tape doesn't help. People are mis misdiagnosed and it's put across as rehabilitation. But the apparatus of rehabilitation in the right way is not functioning properly in these prisons, right? Mm. So it doesn't work. But I always say, look, there's a duty of care here because no matter what if someone's done, if someone has done something and they're sentenced by the courts, that's fair enough. They say, okay, you're found guilty, you need to serve your uh, punishment, sentence, whatever it is, that's fine. But there's another obligation on the other side of that, not just for, for uh, rehabilitation and punishment, but that this same system who's given that the punishment needs to really rehabilitate that prisoner so he can enter into society and then they have an obligation to society as well that these people are in some kind of shape mm. so that can be married in a positive way that we're elevated here you know mm. and there's progress here and you don't see that just to really get down to it there's a lot of talk a lot of political maneuvering a lot of this a lot of that but you know guys if you look at the statistics it's very poor reading, you know, yeah, recidivism yeah. and all that. People are going back for whatever reason, right, mm, you know, yeah. and this, you know, it even costs more money in tax and all that. So what mm. you're seeing is that tells you as well it's a business, guys, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a moral standpoint here, it's not put together in the right ways as it should be in so-called developed mm -hmm. countries. Yes. Right? Some are better than others, but many are very poor, right? And this is the bottom line. Stephen, I'm, I'm really curious um, as someone, because I often times, not oftentimes, but, I, but I've, I've thought about this situation where like, you know, prisons don't really seem like the best place to, to rehabilitate people. And I've always wondered what that sort of conversation is like from the inside. Like if, you know, if the people who are incarcerated and kept in these prisons, if, if like they talk about rehabilitation, so I'm curious, like from your perspective of being in jail and, you know, talking to other people who are also in jail, like, is there conversations around like, I, like, I can't wait to get out of here and change my life and get things turned around. Like, is that a common sort of theme to the things that are discussed or, or does that come up much? Look, if we want to condense it again and really go at this, guys, you have to look at the categories of prisoners. Mm. I don't know a lot, you know, as a category of prisoner, high security, I mean, really in prisons, within prisons, that's about security. It's about containment. It's about breaking you. There is no sense of rehabilitation in there, right? So there's that kind of part of it. Uh, penitentiary, you guys might might call it, right? And then you've got another general kind of kind of population. But here's the thing that, go, you know, that runs through everything, right, is that people in prison... I know this for a fact, is they'll have three faces. Because I go back to a game that we're all human beings. We're still people. Whether we're in the States, we're in the UK, wherever, we're still people. This is a common denominator. So you have one face that's out in the landing, and that's more protective, like, you know, don't mess with me and just leave me alone. And Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to mm. do my thing and get through this, all right? Yeah? Mm -hmm. You know, you've got the face that you show to your loved ones, like the kind of normal face, all right? more authentic face, right, on visits and stuff like that. And then there's another face that you have behind the door when the door closes, right? Mm -hmm. This is a good way to look at it. So when you really get down to it, there are ways to, um, to intervene here and get right interventions. And mm. part of it is sectioning the prison population and diagnosing them properly and then coming with the necessary, uh, you know, incentivized programs that really have a roadmap mm. certain groups of people. When this is specifically targeted in a good way, we're going to get some results out of this thing, right? When you, when you I, I want to just like just just give context for people who aren't aware. So in in the UK, in England, and and in Wales, um, there's there's four categories. Of prisoners, so you got Scotland's category. also a part of the UK. Jerry. Uh, Scotland does a different, uh, different. Okay. Yep, they okay. they do it differently. So uh, thank you, Ireland or Northern Ireland. No problem. 
I just uh, category. <laughs> some you've got, some you've, people, some people, the UK confuses some people. That's all I'm saying. You've got category A, category B, category, category C, category D. So uh, category D prisoners can be trusted in open conditions. Category A prisoners um, are those that would pose the most threat to the public, uh, the police or national security, should they escape. Security conditions in category A prisoners are designed to make escape impossible for these prisoners. And so if you didn't catch that, Stephen was mentioning that he was indeed a category A prisoner. Um, I, you know, I, I guess like over here, we would, we would, I don't know if we categorize prisoners per se, but like we would have maximum security prisons, right? And that's maximum like, security. that's the place where like a Stephen would end up over here in, in North America. I, I, I wanted to ask, um, Stephen, you mentioned, um, you used the word diagnose. And I was wondering if you meant that, that, literally or like or like categorizing patient uh, um um inmates by you know mental health conditions or past trauma or like what do, what do you mean by that i think that's a good question right but i think it's a it's an apt word because one of the problems is you've got guys in there with mental health problems you know at a different scale whatever they shouldn't really be in there. You've got people who's just coming into prison. They don't really know about it. It's a university of crime. They shouldn't be in the deep end with all the really mm. advanced guys at this thing, right? Then you've got different levels of seriousness and advanced criminality, right? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So it's just a word. Really categorizing is the thing because different approaches are needed to different kinds of groups here. Really? Can you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 And this is, look, look, I'll tell you what, it can be done. But by the nature of prison, the way it is, and the emphasis, right? Um, you know, it's not, it's not structured for that. Yeah. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. So when you were in your early twenties, um, you know, you're in the thick of, of things when it comes to, to crime and, um, you know, life is, is probably in retrospect, look pretty bleak. Um, you, you end up getting sentenced to a 17 year prison sentence in, at the age of, uh, in your early twenties. Can you, can you tell us that story? What, what was, what was it that led to the, the conviction? What was what were your feelings when you found out that you were possibly going to be spending 17 years behind bars? Um, what was that experience? Well, if we pedal back a little bit, I'd just give you the dynamic of what was going on before that. So you're talking about, you know, in the East End of London, you know, there was, you know, there was a lot, you know, I was a target target criminal at the time I had been for some years then you know and I was very much around the older guys even of the, you know of that time in their 40s their 50s it was also very very senior target target criminals right that's just the way that was so there was a lot of operations against us and uh, you know a technological war even as it was then it's completely different now but even then there was the bugging there was the directional mics there was the surveillance there was mm -hmm. You know, you know, all of that stuff. It's a lot different now. They don't even need that. They'll watch you from uh, 10 mile away, right, and do the <laughs> yeah. same thing. Uh, then it was different, you know. They, they need to be a lot more hands-on with it, right, and all that stuff. So, um, you know, there was that that was going on. And, you know, you have to understand that. So I ended up, I had three trials at the Old Bailey Farm robbery. Beat the first one, beat the second one, apart from I got guilty of the firearm. And the third one you know, which was a ready eye, you know, which means it's a police ambush. They're waiting for us. Hmm. You know, there were shots fired on this armed robbery and all that. But, you know, I was arrested there 
very serious stuff. That was the end of it, obviously. And then there was a big trial at the Old Bailey, got guilty on that, and 17 years, you know, and that was the start of it. And, and like, do you recall, like, okay, I, just just to kind of put the things into perspective, like, if if all of a sudden today, you know, I found myself standing before a judge and that judge tells me, hey, look, you're you're going to be doing 20 years behind bars um, and that's it. And he hits the hammer. And then that's like, that's it. The, my fate is sealed. I don't know, obviously, because, you know, I've, I, I, the life that I've lived up to this point, I don't know if I could handle that information. I don't know if, if that's a, if that's a life that I would be like willing to go ahead with. Um, mm. Now, obviously when you are in the thick of, of, of organized crime and, taking part in armed robberies and you know, this is like your, this is a part of your day to day. There's, there must be an, an aspect or an element there where you, where, you know, well, if I get caught, it's going to fucking suck. Um, and then you do get caught. And so for you at that time, when they say 17 years and the, and your fate is sealed, what did that feel like for you emotionally? What was going through your mind? Well, it wasn't one of my best days, guys, right? <laughs> I bet, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you imagine. end up, you know, in many ways you have to be accountable, you know, and where I am now, of course, is a completely different place as a human being, which gives me a real, real added expert edge with hindsight and looking back at this stuff. But, of course, you position yourself, like, for this stuff. You know, you go out, you play with guns, you do all this stuff. Bad stuff happens, right? You know, so when it happens, it's going to happen, Right. You know, and it's like a numbers game, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's that's the thing that people have to understand, right? And because it's not clever, it's not glamorous, not 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 the real stuff, you know. You know, even people who might, might seem to have this glamorous life around it inside, they're not happy with that. They're 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 looking over their shoulder. They know it can all come to an end tomorrow. I mean, literally, right? It's not glamorous, right? It's not happiness. It's not a good life, right? There's no winners in it, right? Mm. So, you know, when I stood in that, it's kind of I always knew for me, really, because of the life that I had lived, that there was a good chance that that would happen. Mm. So I always knew that that was going to happen. But this is the funny thing. Where I am now as a self-development expert, I know that. I invited that into my life. Mm -hmm. So when it come, it's what I had, you know, I had laid that into mm. the future anyway. So when I kind of, it arrived, I thought, wow, you know, I always thought I was going to get that. But of course I did because I, because I'd invited that into my life. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that was the thing. But look, you know, to put it into one word, it's very desperate. It's a desperate thing. Right. And that was just the start of it. You know, I was kind of noncommittal with it. We'd had a trial. There was a lot of corruption and that with police and all kinds of stuff in this trial. It was, it was, you know, it was big news back then. But when we got that sentence, we went down, you know, my co-defendants, I shut their hand, I said, right, that's it then, right? You know what I mean? But, of course, that's the start of it. That's the start of a living hell, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did that so, – so what was your – so you get, you get sentenced. What is your – what is the experience like for you in prison? And are you immediately put into this Category A – um, prisoner, is that something that you just automatically come with because of the, the nature of the conviction or organized crime? Does that just mm. automatically get put into that category? Like, what is your what what is your experience in prison look like? And how and how long did you end up spending in prison? No, I ended up I done uh, twelve years, uh, eleven years, and nine months. I was released category A too, but of course, as soon as you're arrested on the street, they know who you are. So category A and the big security stuff, it kicked straight in from that point, right? And it didn't stop for me even after and like when I get out, right? Mm. So, you know, that's where you're talking. There's no let up on that. There's even an escalation of that. I mean, when they're taking us to court, there'd be police with firearms and all this stuff, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know? Snipers on the roof when you go to court, all this. I mean, you know, all the blaring lights and armed police and not stopping at traffic lights. And you would. It's the kind of thing you're on the road like an old person. You would think, who the hell is, is that, right? Is in that thing, right, or whatever. You know, processions and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, the prison translation of the life of that is not 
any different in a sense, although you're in, you're more contained and you're more, but you know, it's all about observation. It's all about, you can only go to certain prisons, you know, you know everything you, your moods are written down in an observation book, who you talk to, what you do, this, that, that. It's, it's very claustrophobic. And of course, with the nature of the people that you're with, other categories and all that, sometimes when you're falling out with these people, you mm. know, they're all uh, crazy people, you know, and sometimes the gang stuff can translate into prison. Mm. You're all in the same places going round and round. So these beefs can go on for 10 years, 15 years, right? Yeah. It, it, I mean, is it is it like the is it like the you know I know like in in media when when you're watching any kind of whatever it's a film or, or television that's that's taking part in in a, a penitentiary there's there's like that whole sort of trope where you enter the space and the first thing you got to do is like. Like walk by all the cells. Like punch like the biggest fuck, guy. Fuck up someone. Yeah, fuck yeah. up the biggest guy you can find so everyone knows don't fuck with Steven, right? <laughs> is that like is is that you know, when you when you when you when you cross those bars and you got into prison, what was was that was one was that one of the things that was going through your mind of like, well, I guess I gotta I guess I gotta show everybody in here like I am not to be fucked with um in order to protect myself. Like what what were the protection mechanisms you were juggling in those first few weeks yeah it doesn't quite work like that like you would see on the movies guys this is the first <laughs> thing it's not the green mile good to know right? good to know go in there and stuff like that right but it's done in a lot more subtle you know underlaying way i mean look you know you walk on them wings like that no matter who you are even if you're really experienced you know like you've done a lot of prison before or whatever there is that atmosphere mm. there's that real kind of predatory kind of, you know, you're in a very dangerous place. You have to conduct yourself in a certain way, no matter who you are, you're going to have a look at the landscape. You're going to check out who's there. Have I any enemies here that I've, you know, that I've missed along the way and may just certainly turn up. It's not going to go too well. I need to be on the lookout for that. You know, been a couple along the way. So you're kind of aware of that stuff. And of course you're just, you know, I mean, the main thing is that, you see, we had a kind of a name as well, but that can that's good for you because you're mm. going to have friends and people in there and they know who you are, so you go straight to a group, which is the best thing. But it can also go bad for you because you can be a bit of a target and there's some crazy people in there, someone who might think they take a little pot shot. So you've got all these dynamics you have to navigate, right? You know, one of the main things you do, obviously, and this is the thing if you go into these places, is the one thing you don't do is, is go and talk to people. Mm. And say, hi, how you doing? As is this and that, you know? And right. look, you know, people who are really green at this or, have, you know, are not forged in that way. People who are, after they talk to these guys, ask them a few questions, they can see through that stuff in two minutes. Mm -hmm. If mm. someone's, you know, there's no, there's no circumventing that right you know this is the real the real place the real university of crime where no one escapes in a way right mm -hmm. so you you know you have to deal with it man i one thing that i i'm as i listen to you talk about this um and knowing the sort of arc of your story and and the transformation that we've alluded to quite a bit um i find it so remarkable and i'm curious to know how this happened but like like when you're in a, like a max maximum security vehicle that like snipers are on the roof because like steven's coming down the street and like every single aspect of your life and the way that people operate around you and the things that like the feedback that you're getting from like the world about like who you are as a person how do you how does a person overcome all of those like external things are like negatively reinforcing the fact that like this person is a, a bad human. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, how do you overcome where, like, where does this even start? Like, how do you start to overcome that? Look, this starts, as I said, well back when I was a child, right. You know, they're getting the foundations and the forging of this, the elements are already being laid, you know, laid down. Right. You know, but let me just clarify the snipers on the roof thing too, right? You know, this, yeah, there was a lot of that and different stuff. 
But half of that sniper's on the roof business to make you look as bad as possible so they can get you down the road and give you the biggest sentence as possible. Ooh, right. let, me, let, me, let me just give you the other end of that, right? So mm-hmm. we balance that out, what's going on here, right? But it is what it is, right? It is what it is. So it's all of this stuff that's reinforcing in you. But always go back, guys, to people of people, because they are. Even for me that would be sitting in the back of that, yeah, I'm hardened and forged because of the life that I've lived in a certain way. But I'm still sitting in there as a human thinking, shit, I'm in a lot of trouble here, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. I'm in a lot of trouble here, not good, right? And then there's, you know, reflection, you know, and all the rest of it. But to circle back around to your question about the metamorphosis, I've had to do immense work, immense work. You know, we're talking, you know, and the work continues for all of us as human Mm. beings. Well, like, where does that like? What, is there a moment where you're where like you? I know that you talk about like it's a sort of ongoing thing, and it happens, you know, from a young age. You're 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 and you're a human, but like, was there a moment when you were like, okay, I need to start, you know, making better decisions and working towards understanding yeah. myself and mm. and and changing? And does that happen in prison, or does it ha- like before you're released, or is that a, or is that something that that comes to you after? Look, I can only speak about my own journey here. This is very personalized, guys. And for me, I see through that life, you know, for a lot of years, right? You can't help but not see through that life if you've got any intelligence at all, you know, at all. You know, we're talking about a very treacherous life. You know, we're talking about a life that strips you from everything. We're not talking about a comfortable life here, right? Do you know what I mean? We're talking mm-hmm. about a very dangerous life, yeah? We're talking about... a you know, very fast moving life where you can't really attach to anything or love anything or put any roots down anywhere. So you can't really build anything in a sense, you know, you're an outlaw, right? But um, yeah, you know, this is what we're talking about. And look, you know, I mean, it's the kind of place where, you know, I knew people 25 years, but you know, they'd set me up to get me killed, right? And it's not even that, 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 you know, we didn't have that history together or they didn't hold me in high esteem. It's just if circumstances can turn against you in a certain way and you're positioned in a certain way, then it's a pragmatic decision that's just taken. And that mm. can happen. Sometimes the worst time is that you don't even see it coming, right? The stuff that you see coming, and of course, you can, you, can, you, can, you can do something about that. But in that life, there's a hidden part of it where it can come at any time. And then they're the ones that's going to get you, right? They're the moments, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is so, it like when when you when you think back to those those moments, you know that that time spent behind bars? Um, you know, like I'm I'm just I'm trying to think of like I'm I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, which is such a fucking hard thing to do. Like I gotta say, it's 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 so hard for me to conceptualize what that experience must have been like for you. Um, but I am I like I'm dying to know how how you ended up shifting your behavior how you ended up shifting your mindset and you know it, it, if if you if you were capable of doing it by yourself that is fucking astounding i would i would assume that there was probably somebody or 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 you know a few people that sort of helped you along to find those techniques to change your behavior to change the like you know the violent mindset that you were that you were forged from. So how did you do that? What, like, you know, did you have, did you have, um, uh, you know, like a mentor or, 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 or perhaps like a therapist or, or, or anybody like in that was on your side that helped you get to a point where you started to change? Look, I can condense this down. There were many, moments you know there were a few epiphanies a few lines in the sand but when you really get down to it it's an inside job you know many people couldn't reach me for many years obviously right so you know it is down to us and it's down to me but i can tell you this you know i was still in uh, special units in in um uh, millennium millennium night i had two years left then right that sentence but i can remember why people was out bringing in the bringing in the millennium I actually got on my knees and did uh, dark in that time over that time, you know, and I put a prayer up. I said, you know what? I knew I had to find my way back to myself. I had to change my life. and I needed to be the best, you know, that I could be. I needed to change everything. And there was one guy I remember when I, you know, when I come home, he said to me, 
Stephen, you only need to change one thing. I said, what's that? He said, everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seriously, he's so clever, right? But he was right. simple as that. But yeah, yeah, you know, and there you go. And that was the thing, you know, people, places and things are complete metamorphosis, of course. Look, you know, I've got my new book, which is coming out now, which is the nine uh, laws of transformation. It's going to be a book, you know, in the vein of Robert Greene's 48 laws of power, uh, you know, Covey's, you know, the seven, seven habits of successful people, all right? You know, but I'm really, really privileged now with that with the level of experience, skill set, where I am in my life now to be able to condense my knowledge and my methodologies in that easy, in that, in that innovative standalone way, mm. in the right way for people. And here's the thing, here's the methodology, how I, how I change, right? Is look, we need timing, we need circumstance, we need intervention, we need um, opportunity, you know, uh, we need support and we need circumstance to change. But these things must always come together at the right time. This is why I love to get meaningful change. This is why a lot of us, we can't change because we may have two or three of them, but then it doesn't work. And then think, why isn't this working for me? Hey, I've got the courage to do it. I'm ready. Hey, I've even got the timing. You know, I've got a bit of intervention, but the circumstances and the opportunities not there. Mm. See what I'm saying? And then the thing is, when that opportunity comes, that's so important too, because then no matter where we are, what it is, how bad it is, we need to put our head down into the adverse weather and just go in that right direction because baby steps turn into big strides. So Steve, what, well, like, what was the... this is the, where the pivotal change is possible, right? Mm -hmm. And so for you, what was that? Like what, what, when did all of those things come together for you? Well, it was a lead up like for me, you know, and they were start, and this is the thing that what I'm talking about, guys, they was coming together even that time, two years before I come out. But when the timing and everything else come and it forged itself, you know, it was already shaping itself. And then, but here's the thing about it, no matter how bad it is or whatever it is, that then shows us that we can, we can plan for that. We can position ourselves to engineer these changes. We don't have to wait for it. You know, we have to know that this can be done and there's a methodology. Then we can burn the boats. You know, we position ourselves for this and then meaningful change is possible. So we bring it all forward, guys, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stephen, when you, I'm, I'm curious and I, and I, and I, and I hope to you, it doesn't seem like I'm glorifying and I hope for people, for people, um, for people listening, don't feel that. And that's not my intention, but is, is there anything to organized crime that, that actually does lend itself to when you shift and your, your focus mm. and your intentions are redirected in this positive manner? Is there anything about that life that actually was a was ultimately was useful in terms of when you made that shift mm. like you know organized crime it's 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 business it's just it's a legal business mm -hmm. but it's still but it's business and there's things that are that are intertwined in that that you can that you can put into use in other directions or at least i'm i'm imagining that that might be possible mm -hmm. what does that what does that look like is that a tr is that a true statement or is that me just completely out to lunch no that's absolutely spot on there's not a lot of difference in many ways from ceos to you know some kind of boss and whatever you want to you want to envisage in the thing transferable skills here right yeah. do you know what i mean you know you're talking about management you're talking about leaders all them forged skills that you would need if you want to say one is legal or one is like illegal whatever you want to say right yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> there is a middle road here too, you know, I bet you're guessing as well, yeah. which lends, lends to what we're talking about here, right? Mm -hmm. But look, you know, what you're talking about, I'll tell you what the really, the really pivotal, really influential elements are. One is where you live such a life on the sharp edge that is um, life or death, this gives you an unbelievable antenna and insight into mm. situations and being able to read them and convert them at super lightning speed. Mm. This is something that needs to be developed and normal people don't have. This is a very, very, um, very, very concise way of making decisions. And you need to get them right, mm. don't you? 
Mm-hmm. So they're going to be a lot more right than what they're wrong. Think about that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that there. But what you've really got here is you've got the university of human beings and how they work, what they're liable to do, what they're not liable to do. Mm-hmm. How, you know, it's a real, it's a real understanding of the mechanics of how human beings work. And that is immensely valuable. Mm. It's another kind of innate, in a sense, and learned skill, you know, uh, intrinsic skill that is massive, massive. Mm. So you're not getting caught hardly ever with things because the way you've had to be able to learn situations, people, places, and things is off the scale Mm. Mm -hmm. compared to what normal people have to contend with, right? Mm -hmm. When you that that day that you were released out of out of prison, you stepped out out of the you know out of the complex for the first time since you were locked away. Um, what went through your mind was was there was there a sense of like of drive was there was there a sense of of potential there for you for like going on with the rest of your life after having lost um, twelve years behind bars. No, what is, you know, it's a lot more real than that, right? You know, and you're dealing with a lot of institutionalized, you know, behavior. You know, it, you know, and if you look at a human being, we are basically a vessel. You know, what you're putting into that is, you know, is what we have. But, you know, it can go to breaking point. So when you've got all the history of all kinds of things in there that, you know, are, you know, unhealthy, one of the things you need to do is let out the pressure and let that stuff out before you can get the good stuff in, right? You can't just pack everything in on top of each other. Human beings don't work like that, right? So you've got a real, a real job on your hands, right? You know, to, to navigate that. And you're not going to do that in a moment, you know, you know, it's going to take some months and some years, you know, and it's, you know, there's one thing that I always say. People say to me, they say, hey, uh, Steve, if you could give me just one piece of information, the best thing that you could give me, what would it be? You know, I say, that's easy. Just always do the next right thing. No matter how hard that is, do it. And I guarantee you, you're going to end up somewhere good. Mm. So this is the task for people, right, mm. when they're really in the darkness here. Not as easy as it sounds in the practical light of day. But there you go. There's a there's a formula that works. Yeah. I I'd like to I'd like to ask you one final question that that's that's really been like um it's it's been a a, a burning question since the moment you told us about your experience as a young boy, 6 or 7 years old, hiding in that bush witnessing that person die in front of you. Um and I'm curious now where you stand after looking back at all you've been through if you yourself right now in this moment could take yourself back to that moment and crawl into that bush with that seven-year-old version of yourself and look into that boy's eyes what is it that you would say to that seven-year-old version of yourself in that moment I'd say, do you know what? You are enough. You are enough, and you need to know that you're enough, right? And this is a big part of it, right? You know, but there's going to be a lot of hard stuff coming your way. And really, the easiest part of it and what you need to do is the opposite of what you think you need to do, right? And then you're going to be okay with that. That's a good start for you. Keep it simple. Mm. Stephen, uh, I, I mean, it's 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 really a miraculous story. Uh, the fact that you've you've been through all this and yet you find yourself now um, the author of uh, of a couple of books, and you know you're 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 about to go on an, uh, an upcoming UK tour. Um, you've you've turned your life around in a really incredible way, and it is it's uh, it's most certainly an inspiration. Uh, and hopefully an inspiration to someone out there right now listening who feels like they are in a position where they need to just turn things around. Not necessarily because they're inv- involved in crime or, or anything like that, but Absolutely. just because that their life is in a position where they aren't happy with the way things have panned out. The cards that they were dealt were shit. And so 
you know, just to, to hear a story like yourself and to know that the, it's possible to take what you've been given and to still mold your life and turn it into something that is valuable is, is super, super amazing. Um, and we're really glad that you took time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us. Please let our listeners know, how can they follow you? How can they stay up to date with the work that you're doing? And, um, you know, any projects that you've got coming up that you want to plug? Yeah, look, you know, when you're saying there about people that don't necessarily have to be in crime, that's so important, guys, because we all have a challenges here. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we created stephengillan.com. You've got the resilience code there. We're changing people's lives all over the world there. Business people, really, I'm telling you, you know, really rapidly transforming people with all kinds of issues. Go in there and have a look at that. It's very dear to us. Um Doing a lot of wonderful stuff. Extremely proud of that. I've got the UK tour coming up. First, first um, event is in Kingston, London, 2nd of September. You know, we'll get some links in there, guys, you know, wherever. Of course, I've got a YouTube channel there. You know, I've had tens of millions of views across social media, social media platforms. The best thing for people to do as well is just to Google me. Stephen with a PH Gillen. They go in there. There's all the stuff on there that they would like to see or what's upcoming or anything like that. And you know that there's a lot of ways to reach out to me, guys. A lot of content on there. A lot of, I'm always in the press. They'd be on there for weeks, if not months, looking at stuff to go through. And there are many ways they could they could reach out to me or my team. And I'd be very happy as always to hear from them and hear their story and hear about what their challenges may be today. Mm. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for uh, for your time today. This has been a real treat. Thank you guys as well. It's really been a treat. Like I said, I've done a you know a media tour over there in Canada at the end of last year. All the morning shows. We've got a lot of dear friends and family over there. Love you guys. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Stephen. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.